electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast Debt Ceiling Showdown, the president meeting right now with congressional leaders. Will today sit down, grease the skids for a deal or make a default more likely? A live report from Washington is straight ahead. Plus, Disney on deck, the media giant reporting earnings tomorrow. The stock's up almost 18 percent this year, but has been stuck in neutral for the past month. So does Bob Iger have some magic to reignite Disney's mojo? And later, what's got shares of Carvana all revved up? A look at what's behind the 65% rebound over the past week. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, we have Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start with the debt ceiling showdown. President Biden meeting right now with congressional leaders from both parties in the White House. They've been at it now for just under an hour. Before the meeting truly kicked off, the White House pool was in the Oval Office. The president said he wouldn't take any questions and ignored reporters asking him and House Speaker McCarthy about whether they would cut a deal to prevent a debt default. Investors on edge ahead of this meeting. The major averages closing the day slightly lower. The Dow now down six of the last seven sessions. Let's get more on today's meeting and the behind the scenes wrangling on the debt ceiling from NBC White House correspondent Monica Alba. Monica. Hi there, Courtney. That's right. This meeting has been going on for about an hour. Incredibly high stakes here with the White House and the president firm. They say on their position, which is that they don't want to be negotiating at all when it comes to raising the debt ceiling. They believe this is Congress's constitutional duty to act as it has for decades under both Republican and Democratic presidents. So this is a meeting that, of course, is taking place face to face and significant in the fact that it is occurring because for weeks weeks now, the White House has said they didn't want to come together to negotiate on something that they essentially believe is essential to do because of the repercussions of a default, which of course has never happened before in American history. So during this meeting, we know that the White House is going in saying they don't want to pursue a short-term extension, something that Republicans have also taken off the table for now, it seems. Speaker McCarthy telling our own Garrett Haake earlier today that that's not something they wanted to do. They don't want to kick this can down the road. They want to deal with it right now. But both sides are completely dug in into their respective positions. So the goal of this meeting today is to find a little bit of common ground. But when we look to any potential off ramps, it's just unclear where this is going to go. And the calendar is really squeezed down to just a couple of weeks with the president set to go overseas to Australia and Japan for much of the next week or so. And so that will, of course, then again, make this even more difficult to try to get something done. But today is likely the first of several talks. So we'll see when they commit to speaking again. Courtney. Monica, thank you very much for that update. Guy, what do you make of this? Obviously, the market's sort of quiet today as far as trading action goes as we're waiting to see if we'll get any resolution, although it seems that it's going to be an 11th hour decision, as it always is. I, I agree with that. And I think as long as the market stays where it is, there's no... This is one of those times where our world collides with the political world. And I'm sure they're watching and saying, well, you know what? Stock market doesn't seem to care. So there's no reason for either side to sort of acquiesce, again, in my opinion. If something starts to break in our world, then maybe cooler heads will prevail. But until something like that happens, I think they're going to continue this thing up until the 11th hour, which it turns out is probably less than two and a half, three weeks from today. So I do think it gets worse before it gets better in terms of the rhetoric. And I think at some point the market's going to start to behave that way. Dan, what do you think the market is expecting out of whatever the resolution will be? Yeah, I, listen, I, I think that just look at the VIX right here under 18, and it doesn't suggest that there's too much fear as far as investors are concerned. Look at where the S&P 500 is trading right now. So, I mean, I think that, like to Guy's point, that, that there will be some sort of agreement. I don't think it'll come with spending cuts. If you think uh, during the Trump administration, the debt ceiling limit was lifted three times. There was no deal on 
that. This is Congress's responsibility. I think you have uh, a speaker in the House who's got uh, very little control over his caucus, and they're going to dictate that he kind of pushes it as far as he can here. Um, and, you know, ultimately this thing will get resolved because I don't think it's in anyone's best interest to have um, our, country, our country default on its debt, not being able to pay its bills, and all the repercussions that would happen throughout financial markets and the credit markets and the like. So to me, I just think it's a bit of a sideshow until we get there. Karen, I don't know that any of the lawmakers are paying attention to what's going on in the markets. Do you think they are? Uh, well, they do trade stocks. They, they sure do. Well, we know that. <laughs> we know that. So they're very focused. Um, I do think they get they get nervous when their constituents get nervous, and to the extent that their constituents are invested in the market, I think that that they do care about that. But they feel like, oh, we got all kinds of time. This, I mean, you know, May 9th, we got all kinds of time. Why do we need to? Why do we need to do anything? I think it was good that Yellen sort of. I don't know if it was artificially or not, set the, sort of made this June 1st deadline, because I don't know what was going to change if it was later. So hopefully we'll get something done, but I'd be very, very surprised. I think the least likely outcome today is that we see anything productive. Tim, do you have any concern about what's going on in the Treasury market, some of these short-dated Treasury yields? Four-month bills like trading it? more than the six-month exactly. uh, T-bill. And, and yes, um, and I do think that the Treasury markets are more susceptible and certainly look, the, the stock market is showing no sign of concern on this. I, I'm going to say I, I think stocks haven't priced in one iota, whatever an iota is, um, mm -hmm. not one basis point, not anything. And, and that's concerning because we're coming out of a period where I also think we've had the best of, of – of the earnings that we could have seen from the most important companies in the market. And so um, I, I think that the bond market is, is telling you more about where leading indicators are in the economy. Bond market's telling you we are moving towards a place where the economy will significantly weaken the curve. We talk about the inversion all the time. Um, I, I, I just feel like markets have not priced this in. Um, but like everybody, I expect a, you know, an 11th hour uh, decision, especially because uh, the, the, the public is of the view, um, whatever our politics are, I think the public is of the view is that each side is culpable here and that each side has a role to play in that. And that may be why something um, is actually more negotiable than it appears right now. The, today, I think is theater. We're going to hear all about it, maybe in, for the next hour, um, what's going on in Washington. And it's fascinating. Um, but I, I think markets should be concerned just because I see us up near the, the edge of a, of a really a six-month range on the S&P around 4,200. Now, maybe if we're holding this range and you come in, you, at some point you consolidate that level, I think the bulls will tell you that you're actually setting the stage to take it through and at least challenge 4,350 on the S&P. But again, we're coming through earnings season where we've had very strong numbers relative to expectations by the most important companies, and, and, and yet here we are with this issue. Guy, do you think that the market cares more about what we're going to hear about inflation and the CPI and the PPI later this week than about what's happening with the debt ceiling? Tomorrow's right a now? big deal. CPI is a huge deal. I mean, it's, are we can continue that trajectory lower or do things stabilize and make the Fed's job harder? And, you know, again, I'm not an economist. Joe Devorney will come on. I'm not humorless enough or smart enough <laughs> to be one, but I'll say this. CPI, be, be, careful. be careful on both of us, Brian. <laughs> well, you think I'm, I'm maybe one or the other. CPI is going to be, I think it's going to be hot. I think PPI is going to be weak. And people will say they'll mitigate it. No, because to me, PPI is more reading of the economy. So you get a hot CPI and then on Thursday get a sort of a softer PPI. That's not a great um, environment to be long stocks in, in my opinion. Dan? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it comes back to valuations, and it comes back to a rates are, and it comes back to your question about CPI and PPI. If those just kind of hang tight here, right, and we're really worried about inflation with unemployment at, you know, record lows, 53-year lows or whatever at 3.4%, all that does is speak to me about a stagflationary environment with a whole heck of a lot of uncertainty about what domestic economic policy here, okay? Like, let's be very clear. I think we don't mean to sound really complacent as it, as it appears the stock market feels about this debt ceiling thing. I mean, listen, the risk will come all at once. If there is a massive impasse here, you know, ultimately the markets will start pricing it in. We had a VIX that was above 20 last week. I can't remember what it was about, but then it made a new 52-week mm -hmm. low. It'll be back at 23, 24, something like that, like that. So I guess what I would just say is that if we're in a stagflationary environment here and we have all this uncertainty, we have geopolitical uncertainty with what China might or might not do um, with Taiwan, what that could affect supply chains. You know, we're going to talk about chips, I think, a little bit later with this global foundry situation. I mean, that 
situation could make what happened with Russia invading Ukraine and the disruption of supply of natural gas and crude that we had last year that was really one of the major reasons for the inflationary spike that we have, that could make that look like just a, like a child's game. I mean, if you think about the disruption to the chip supply chain. So to me, I just think there's a lot of risk um, lurking out there and the stock market is not pricing it. But to Tim's point, there does seem to be some trepidation in the, in the, uh, in the Treasury yield market. A couple things I'd say about the markets themselves. Uh, the semiconductors and the higher growth parts of the market have been underperforming the S&P. And so if you're looking for market direction, I continue to think you at least use that as a guide. If you look at the SMH relative to the SPY, uh, you see it running up into that resistance around, you know, 30.30. And it's done it three times. I'd be careful about that. Okay. We're looking at a live shot of the White House right now. That meeting between the president and congressional leaders has ended. We will bring you any comments as soon as they happen. But for more on what's at stake, let's bring in Joe Livornia. He is the former chief economist at the White House National Economic Council. He's now chief economist at SMBC, Nico Securities America. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. What are uh, what are the, the risks at stake here when we're looking at the economy if we do, in fact, default on our debt? What could it cost us? There will not be a default. And by default, we mean technical default, like we will miss an interest payment. I do not expect that to happen. As we've been through this a couple of dozen times since the early 80s, there will be an agreement. But as everyone basically on the panel said, it may be the market pushing uh, Washington to actually make that 11th hour decision. And it will likely have to come from much lower equity prices because I can tell you, being in D.C., uh, Congress folks don't really know the difference or the peculiarities in the Treasury market and how the bill curve should trade relative to the belly or longer end of the yield curve. But the equity market will capture their attention. And right now, as everyone said, volatility is low, the market's well bid. But I fear that this will drag on late in the month and there will be a deal, but only after markets really kind of tumble and force both sides to the negotiating table. Last time this happened or that we got close to this was in 2011 and we did get a downgrade of the United States debt. Do you fear that that is something that could be in the cards this time around as well? It could if it gets really messy. I don't think it's that likely, Courtney, for the simple reason that the rating agencies put the downgrade watch Joe, in place Joe, I'm going to have to ask April. you to stop for just a moment here. Sure. We actually do see Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell are walking to the podium after this meeting has ended at, inside the White House with President Biden. We are going to listen in to their remarks and see what they have to say here and if we've gotten any closer. I came down to see him saying, let's work together in responsible, sensible way that we can lift the debt ceiling and find a way that we can curve this increasing debt that is affecting every American family with inflation. And now three banks of our fourth largest banks have closed are in the debt problem. Nothing has changed since then. The only thing that has changed is the House has raised the debt ceiling and passed the bill. That's why we had a meeting today. Everybody in this meeting reiterated the positions they were at. I didn't see any new movement. The president said the staff should get back together. But I was very clear with the president. We have now just two weeks to go. If Chuck Schumer could pass something, we'd go to conference right away and solve that. But I don't think Chuck Schumer can pass anything. They haven't dealt with it. Unfortunately, the president has waited 97 days without ever meeting. Every day I asked, could we meet? And he said no. The House has raised the debt ceiling in a responsible manner, curve our spending at the same time, bring us economic growth. And I asked the president this simple question. Does he not believe there's any place we could find savings? He signed a bill that the House passed became law that the pandemic is over. We have 50 to $60 billion that have sat out there that's been appropriated for more than two years that we could pull back and save the taxpayer money. We could put in growth packages that help us economically, the, cutting the red tape so we could build things in America again. We could have items that he actually voted for, like work requirements that just passed in Wisconsin with 82% of the vote, to help our supply chain get stronger. I would hope that he'd be willing to negotiate for the next two weeks so we could actually solve this problem and not take America on the brink. Well, I, as I think all of you know, I've been through a few uh, death ceilings over the years. 
Let me first make the point, uh, the United States is not going to default, it never has, and it never will. However, elections have consequences. We now have divided government. We didn't have divided government last year. In 2019, I told President Trump, who was no fan of Speaker Pelosi, that they needed to work it out. Why? We had divided government. The solution to this problem lies with two people. The President of the United States who can sign a bill and deliver the members of his party to vote for it, and the Speaker of the House. There is no sentiment in the Senate, certainly not 60 votes, for a clean debt ceiling. So there must be an agreement, and the sooner the President and the Speaker can reach an agreement, the sooner we can solve the problem. Mr. Speaker? Mr. Yes. Well, I asked him numerous times, are there some places we could find savings? Um, he wouldn't give me any, so I'm hopeful that we'll be able to find them. Uh, you can't spend more money, which his budget does, than the pandemic. They added $6 trillion when they in the majority, and what happened? We got inflation. We hurt every family in America. I think the best thing we could do is find places that we can eliminate waste, find places that we can grow this economy, and that's exactly what the House bill does. Look, I would have loved to have spent from February 1st on working together and negotiating something. Unfortunately, he would never meet with us. So I had to look for things that Democrats had agreed to before. Like, Senator Manchin believes that we should cap the growth going forward. So we would take the next 10 years and we would spend more each year, but only 1%. That would save us a lot of money. We'd find savings like COVID money bringing it back. We'd find ways to grow the economy by making us energy independent, lowering the cost of energy, but at the same time changing the red tape on the permitting reform so we could build things again. I thought that was a common ground idea that we can all get together on. So we had made sure that we wouldn't go into default, so the House raised the debt limit and also had growth for the rest. Yes. I, I didn't feel, I didn't see much difference in the statements from the president or from Chuck Schumer, for that fact. I mean, Chuck's whole idea before was to take us to the brink and someone's going to have to break, right? I don't want to play politics with this. I think this is too important. That's why three months ago I came to the president. Can't we find a way? I know we're both going to have to give and take. That's the way the founders have created our government, a house, a senate, the executive branch. So let's sit down together, find places we can agree upon, and get this done. Because they ignored us, we had to go on our own, and we passed a bill to do that. Yes. Well, the House made sure we wouldn't have default because we raised the debt limit. Now, the Senate hasn't done anything. Well, the Senate hasn't done anything. That would come down really to Chuck Schumer and the President. The House made sure we wouldn't default. We are ones who raised the debt limit. We've sent it to the Senate. We've sat with the president. I've tried to for 97 days. He's had said no. I think the only reason we are actually here today is because we passed something. But I hope you only got about two more weeks to try to get this done. Well, I don't see how we would own it if we raised the debt limit. So if I look back, the House raised the debt ceiling, the Senate has not, and the President hadn't negotiated. So, so I find that very odd. Yes. Speaker, did the President bring any proposals to this meeting, and is there a plan for another meeting after this? When would that be? One question to Leader McConnell. How is the President's posture in this meeting different than how you've seen him in the past over this very same issue? The first part, and I'll turn it over to the Leader. Uh, the staff will get together, and we'll get back together the principles on Friday. Well, I can tell you how it was done in 2019. Uh, after I told President Trump he didn't have any choice but to deal with the Speaker, he designated the Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Mnuchin, 
discussions uh, began. Out of that was a uh, debt ceiling increase and a CAPS proposal that lasted for two years. So I come back to where I started. The solution is between the one person in America who can sign a bill into the law and the Speaker of the House. And the sooner they get together, the better. If they get together, the bill will pass both the House and the Senate on a bipartisan basis. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, McConnell clearly said the United States will not default on its debt. Can you say the same that the United States will not default on yeah, its debt? Yeah, because the House raised the debt limit. Look, I'm Speaker of the House. I'm not the leader of the Senate. I'm not the President. So your question is, will not default? I've done everything in my power to make sure it will not default. We have passed a bill that raised the debt limit. Now, I haven't seen that in the Senate, so I don't know. What gives you that confidence, yes. What gives you that confidence? Well, what's interesting is I would never want to put any gun to anybody's head. That's why I came February 1st. I sat out here. I want to have something responsible. I want to have something sensible. And then I just say to you and the American public, would it be wrong if you took hard-working taxpayers' money and you had billions of dollars appropriated for a, pa a pandemic that is now over, why wouldn't you pull that back? Would it be wrong to put some control? Remember what we're talking about. A debt ceiling is like your, your child having a credit card. We've reached the limit. We're responsible for paying it, but would you just raise the limit without seeing how you're spending your money? That's all we're talking about. So I understand that the president has to sign it and it has to pass the Senate. So why couldn't we, for the last 97 days, talk about this? Why would it, when a president who was vice president before, if you look at all of his quotes, this is a man who prided himself, they called him the Biden negotiations. This is a man, the President Biden, when he was senator, he actually voted against debt ceilings because they said they didn't cut enough in spending. This is a, a president who, when he was Vice President Joe Biden, when it was a $14 trillion debt, said, we have to do something about this big debt that we have. It is now $31 trillion. I think every single household believes you need to be able to do something responsible and sensible, and that's what we've been trying to do for the last three months. Leader McConnell, yes. Leader McConnell what, gives, what gives you that confidence after this meeting with McConnell that it will be a default? What did I watch? When you said that the U.S. has never defaulted and it never will, what gives you that confidence right now to say that? Yeah, look. <laughs> The United States of America is not going to default. We are having a debate here in conjunction with raising the debt ceiling as to whether or not after, after dropping $2.6 trillion on the American people in the last Congress on a, on a partisan vote, we ought to have at least some restraint on our spending related to the debt ceiling. And I, this is not unusual. We've been here before. Debt ceilings have frequently carried other measures. What we have here is we're running out of time. And it's time for the president to get serious uh, and to sit down with the speaker and get a solution. We're going to go back to Joe Lavornia. We just heard remarks from the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and Mitch McConnell. Joe, it doesn't sound like there was any movement. I think the quote exactly from McCarthy was, quote, no new movement. Obviously, a lot of finger pointing, which you might expect in these days of very bipartisan politics. What, what do you do now as we're watching the markets here? And the leaders are going to meet again yeah, I mean, on Friday. Right. So he, Speaker McCarthy mentioned the principals are going to meet on Friday. Is that both parties or is that just the speaker staff? That to me wasn't clear. If they are meeting, if they're all meeting again on Friday, excluding the president, that's obviously positive because the conversation keeps going. But again, it seems to me, given the fact there's been no movement, uh, there's just nothing to suggest this isn't going, unfortunately, to come down to the 11th hour. And, and that's, a, that's a worry, because even though I don't expect there to be a default, uh, the markets, which are going to push Congress to do the right thing, but just we're not there yet. And that's my fear. 
I, I hope that that is true. Janet Yellen called a default a, quote, economic catastrophe. And, of course, we just heard McCarthy say he's done everything in his power and he does not believe that there is a default. But, of course, we don't have any further movement on these negotiations. Um, Joe, thank you very much. I mean, Tim, what do you make of what we just heard? Well, it's it's political brinksmanship. I mean, you know, we, the lines are st like straight out of like central casting. Um, <laughs> they really are. And and on some level, no one really cares. Um, and, and again, 97 days or 15 votes. I mean, you know, I've been, you look at McCarthy's world. I mean, it's it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't print well. I would just bring it back to markets. I would also bring it back to uh, the debt markets and the Treasury markets, which, you know, on some level, a lot of investors believe if you look at the inverted yield curve, that, that yields have to go significantly lower. And if you let's get it back to Fed funds, which have 150 basis points of, of cuts uh, by the Federal Reserve in over the next year, which I don't think they will do. So um, I, I, I just think that markets don't really know what to do in, about Washington. And, and based upon past history, I don't know that markets are supposed to do a lot here. I really don't. Um, I, I think it would be an opportunity if they did based upon that alone. But what worries me more is where we are with, with interest rates and where the expectations are for the Fed to do something that I don't think they're going to do. And CPI tomorrow will show what the payroll number did on Friday, which is that the, the, the wages gains alone are worth two percentage points of inflation that the Fed can't control right now. A lot of questions out there. We're going to head back to the White House for the Democratic response from the debt ceiling meeting. And after the break, a bunch of names on the move in the after hours. Airbnb, Wynn, Affirm, they're all reporting results. The details from those quarters are coming up next. Fast Money is back in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a trio of earnings movers after hours, Airbnb, Wynn, and Affirm, all on the move. Let's start with Wynn and Contessa Brewer. Hi, well, Contessa. Hi there, Courtney. Wynn Resorts, so confident in its prospects this year, it has returned to paying a dividend, 25 cents a share. That's what Craig Billings led with on the earnings call. And Macau results here beating expectations. Market share, he said, holding steady. Tenant retail sales increasing 60% against the first quarter of 2019. That'll give you a clue about how the Chinese consumer is doing. Just last week on the Golden Week holiday, Wynn got double the VIP turnover. That's the amount of money the casino takes in, double from Golden Week 2019. Vegas and Boston also trouncing expectations. Billings acknowledge there are macro issues, high inflation, high interest rates, bank failures, increasingly difficult year-over-year -year comps. But still, Las Vegas set an all-time record in adjusted property EBITDA, and that is the most important metric of profitability in gaming. Billings says the consumer continues to feel flush, and he says he expects to set a record for group business this year, Remember, Karen, Guy, you guys were talking about that and whether that would hold true. And all of that before international visitation fully rebounds in Las Vegas. They're still waiting to see whether the Chinese tourists come back, guys. What an interesting report. Thank you, Contessa. Yeah. Let's trade it. Uh, Guy, what do you make of Wynn Resorts and what it may say about the global consumer? Tim has thoughts on this without question. And we've been talking about Wynn being cheap, I want to say now, the better part of 15 months. So this to me is run up into earnings, people taking profits on the back of it. Maybe it lasts a couple more days, but my sense is this is a good enough quarter to continue the move that we're seeing. So I get why people are probably taking profits on the back of this, but 
I still think there's room to the upside in this. Well, I'd say simply, uh, when is the diversified casino play where if you really want China to pick out LVS, they both had a big run? Got it. Yeah, I see wind resorts here down just about a percent after hours. Let's turn now to Airbnb's big move lower. Deirdre Bosa has the latest from that call. Hi, Deirdre. So, Courtney, Airbnb continues to benefit from the travel resurgence, but it also warned there could be some softness ahead. And a lot of that centers around a word that has been mentioned at least 19 times so far during the call. It's still going on. That word is affordability. The company is going after more cost-conscious guests with products like Airbnb Rooms. That will bring down the average daily rates, and it'll also lead to more marketing spend, which will weigh on profitability. And that's why the stock is down so much in the after hours. Chesky said that the most price-sensitive guests are currently in North America by offering lower-priced options. He says they're not just serving them, but they're also going to be bringing in Gen Z travelers that haven't traveled as much yet. Ultimately, that could grow Airbnb's TAM, total addressable market. But in the shorter term, investors are looking for profitability and growth. Thank you very much, Deirdre. Dan, what do you make of Airbnb's results? Yeah, so last night we had a conversation. I said that, listen, this thing technically is setting up pretty nicely, and especially on the heels of what uh, Uber had to say last week and the stock's response to that, and this company is profitable. And I thought um, relative to its growth, the the valuation looks reasonable. I think... This is disappointing. I, I think that the biggest takeaway I would say is like this coupled with what PayPal had to say at checkout, they're seeing more consumers use buy now, pay later. And I just think that's really interesting when you put these two things together and you think about the economy and where we are relative mm-hmm. to expectations for a recession. I think you have to take these two data points out of these two companies and you have to start thinking about the health of the consumer right here. Yeah. And I think we're going to get a little bit more details on that, Dan, here when we talk about a firm, the fintech company seeing losses more than triple from a year ago, but revenues came in better than expected. Christina Partzanellis has been listening in on that call with this buy now, pay later company. Christina, what's going on? Yeah, tripled losses, but can I say a little bit better than what was expected? I actually had a quick call with the CFO who attributed the quarter to improved gross mar- uh, merchandise volume, which is a key metric that measures the value of all goods sold on a firm's platform. That came in at $4.6 billion, which was a beat. He also pointed out that delinquencies declined and that 88% of transactions are repeat users. On consumer strength, the CEO saying earlier demand and tra- travel as well as ticketing remain strong, a 62% year-over-year growth as the company works with brands like Booking.com and Royal Caribbean. But what's happening? You're seeing shares down quite dramatically, uh, you know, pairing some of those earlier negative 8% losses, but still down over 6%. This downtick in the stock could be due to a, a slight quarter-over-quarter downtick in revenue less transaction costs, so it's a metric known as RLTC, as a percent of gross merchandise volume for Q4, so they're expecting it to be a little bit lower. The CEO saying on the call right now that they aren't overly reliant on things getting better in the debt capital market either in the near term, so that could be weighing on the price. Hmm. Interesting. Christina Parknevelis, thank you. Karen, what do you make of a firm? I think it's interesting when you see you know, consumers spending more, but they're doing it with the service like a firm. So what does that say to you? Well, I think it's so it's t- closely tied to spending. Right. That's part of it. It's interesting to me that the capital structure, they've, they're in good shape. They've got a good balance sheet. Uh, they got a lot of cash. I see they're going to buy back some of their debt, which is trading at a 13 percent yield for three three year paper. Hmm. That seems like a decent thing to do, actually. So, um, you know, the stock came from the stratosphere. It's down down to one tenth of the stratosphere. I don't know. I haven't. I, I never really totally got the model. I, I never loved it. I think uh, it, it was it was at the right place at the right time, and I don't know. Um, even down a lot here. I'm going to pass. All right. Yeah, down about 6%, but off the lows after the session. Well, coming up, the Disney download, what to expect out of those results tomorrow and how options traders are preparing. That's next. And CNBC's 11th annual Disruptor 50 list is out. We are highlighting the private companies making the biggest waves. And no surprise, AI is taking center stage. CEO and co-founder of AI startup Cohere joins us next to lay out how his company is using the technology to produce chatbots. That interview when Fast Money returns. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
We are going to go right here to Senator Chuck Schumer, who has just left the White House after talks with Republicans. And Kevin McCarthy said there was no new movement. Let's see what he has to say. Speaker McCarthy, would he take default off the table? He refused. President Biden said he would. Leader Jeffries said he would. Of course, I said I would. But he wouldn't take it off the table. And instead of him giving us a plan to remove default, he gave us a plan to take default hostage. And that is a shame, because that makes things more complicated. The bottom line is very simple. There are large differences between the parties. If you look at what President Biden had proposed, and you look at what Speaker McCarthy has proposed, they're very, very different. We can try to come together on those in a budget and appropriations process. But to use the risk of default with all the dangers that has for the American people as a hostage and say it's my way or no way, or mostly my way or no way, <laughs> is dangerous. So we, we again repeat our plea to Speaker McCarthy, take default off the table and let's ne resume negotiations in the budget process in the appropriations process, where we have legitimate differences. That's the good news. The president asked the, the uh, um, people from all four of the leaders and himself to start sitting down as early as tonight, certainly tomorrow, to see where we can come to an agreement on the budget and the appropriations process. There are probably some places we can agree and some places we can compromise, hopefully, but that has to occur as part of the budget appropriations process. Thank you, Leader Schumer, and I thank uh, President Biden for convening us to have this conversation. Under no circumstances should the United States default on our debt. America must always pay our bills. A default would be catastrophic for everyday Americans, for small businesses, for people all across the land. House Democrats have taken default off the table. Senate Democrats have taken default off the table. Senate Republicans, as just indicated by Leader McConnell, have taken default off the table. President Biden, from the very beginning, took default off the table. There's one group in Washington, D.C., extreme MAGA Republicans who have indicated that they are willing to take us down the path of default. That is reckless, irresponsible, and extreme. We're thankful that President Biden has asked the four corners of the Capitol, along with the administration, to get together as early as this evening, if not tomorrow to make sure that we can have a conversation about the budget, about the appropriations process, about spending and investments and revenue. And all four parties have agreed. Now, on timeline, let me just simply say, because there's been uh, a narrative that has emerged from some of my friends on the House Republican side that the delay, the reason why we're at this point, is because of inaction. Nothing can be further from the truth. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy met on February 1st. In that meeting, President Biden said, default is off the table, as it has been repeatedly during Democratic administrations and Republican administrations, including three times when we helped President Trump raise the debt ceiling without gamesmanship, partisanship, or brinksmanship. Simultaneously, we can have a discussion about the budget. President Biden said in that meeting, the administration will produce its budget for the American people by March 9th. The budget was produced by President Biden on March 9th. At the same time, he said, we need to understand the House Republican position. Produce your budget. March 9th came and went. No Republican budget. Week after week after week, through mid-March into late March, into early March, into mid-April, 
all the way through to April 26, we saw no Republican plan, no Republican budget. And then on April 26, they passed one that was extreme, that put polluters over people, that dramatically cut Medicaid for disabled children and seniors, would cut veterans benefits as we understand it, would cut health care, would cut law enforcement, would cut a variety of things that would undermine the health, the safety, the economic well-being of the American people. That wasn't passed, the Default on America Act, until April 26. The next day, the House went out of session. They were gone and did not return until today when President Biden reconvened us to urgently deal with this issue. We'll take a couple of quick questions. the wrong question. You have to, every time we pass a debt ceiling, it's bipartisan. His bill doesn't have a single uh, Democrat in support, and it gets us nowhere, because you have to negotiate to get these done. What's really troubling about the Speaker's position is, it's a, it's a partisan bill, and he says, take it or leave it, or we could default. By not taking default off the table, Speaker McCarthy is greatly endangering America and making it much harder to make progress on budget negotiations. And so the bottom line is very, very simple. Mitch McConnell himself has said that the Speaker has to come to some kind of agreement with the President and said that the Senate is never going to pass the House bill. McConnell has said that. So the idea that he passed a partisan bill that has no chance of being signed by the president and no chance of passing the Senate and instead uses it, as he said, somebody, one of the reporters asked him, are you going to hold a gun to people's heads? He didn't deny it. He didn't deny it. This is very troubling. But if we can come together on an appropriations budget process as the way it's been done every time in the past when President Trump was president, I was Democratic minority leader, I could have said, I'm holding it hostage unless we repeal the Trump tax cuts, your signature issue. I didn't do that. But McCarthy is saying, I'm holding it hostage unless you repeal the IRA, which was our signature issue, and is doing such good for the country. You've talked several times about the regular budget and appropriations process, so how much actual discussion was there of a short-term increase to align it with the September 30th deadline? That didn't, we are going to meet tonight and tomorrow to try and begin talking about that appropriations process, about that budget process, to see if there can be some agreements. The disagreements are wide, and anyone who says my way or no way, and we're going to default, is not serving the country well, and I'm afraid that's what Speaker McCarthy is saying. Last one. Go ahead. President Biden uh, did the responsible thing, convening us the first day that the House was back in session after being out of town for close to two weeks. Uh, we had a honest, frank discussion about a path forward, and President Biden urged us to get together either later on today or tomorrow, our respective teams, to have a discussion about a path forward around the budget and the appropriations process, and everyone agreed. That's progress. Thank you, everybody. We've just heard here from Senators Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries after meeting with the president and with Republicans from the House. I mean, Karen, now we've heard from both sides. We don't have any real movement, so I guess we have to decide who has the more compelling argument as they come out to the podium and speak to the press? I think actually both sides did a good job of making their side sound pretty reasonable, right? We've done what we can. I thought both sides did a good job. but And I do think it's a positive that it seems like they're all going to be meeting either again tonight or tomorrow. So that's good. I think that's kind of as good as we hoped that meeting could go. There was no chance, no chance of a deal during that meeting. Dan, what do you make of what we just heard? 
Um, yeah, I, I listen. I, I don't think the I, th I think the last bit there is the most important bit. I mean, like there was not a negotiation on whether to pay the bills. There was not a negotiation in the last few terms here. Okay, um, whether or not um, the, the the U.S. was going to default and we weren't going to push it to the brink of having our debt uh, downgraded. So, um, to me, I think that ultimately, um, you know, no one wants to be on the hook of this a year before an election year, that sort of thing. But I think that they will come to a clean debt ceiling raise that kicks the can down the road, and they're going to have to like. Agree to negotiate on some of these um, these these uh, spending increases. Well, we wait to see what the resolution will be here in coming weeks, perhaps. Let's turn now to Disney. It's seeing some big action in its options ahead of tomorrow's report. Mike Coe has the action for us. What's going on here, Mike? Yeah, so the options market right now implying a move of about 6% higher or lower by the end of the week after they report earnings. That's consistent with the 5.6% or so that the company has averaged over a similar period looking at the last eight reported quarters. Sentiment today was very slightly bearish. The busiest options were the weekly 97 strike puts. Uh, we saw over 6,000 of those trading for about 95 cents. Buyers of those are betting on a downside move of about that 6% by the end of this week. Thank you very much, Mike. Tim, what do you make of Disney? What are your moves here ahead of the earnings? Well, I, I think the stock has been range bound. If you look at the chart, it's kind of interesting because it's kind of coming up against these 103, 105 levels. Looks like the chart actually is encouraging. I, I don't think they're going to knock your socks off in terms of what they're going to tell you in terms of what their streaming revenue was. It's about controlling the losses. That will be closely watched. Parks outperformed. And if you look at the operating income coming out of the parks, uh, certainly from the business perspective offsetting, I think it's, it's Bob Iger's first quarter at the helm. Uh, and we're again. probably right again. <laughs> oh and we're probably most just going to hear about cost cutting. I, I, you know, but I, I think media companies uh, have, have borne the brunt of their the, at least the first round of what this they were they were priced for recession right out of the gates two years ago. And, and I think on some level we've had a chance to reassess. Well, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday at 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, CNBC's Disruptor 50 list is out, and it's all about AI. We'll be joined next by Adrian Gomez, the co-founder and CEO of Google-linked chat GPT rival Cohere. Plus, what a week. Shares of Carvana driving higher. So should you jump into the rally? That trade and much more when Fast Money returns. This year's Disruptor 50 list is chock full of companies making breakthroughs in AI. Cohere develops natural language processing models that clients can deploy to build chatbots, search engines, and more. Cohere currently has strategic partnerships with Google and AWS. Joining us now on set is Cohere CEO and co-founder Aiden Gomez. Aiden, thanks so much for being here with us. Can you give us some examples? We just talked about search engines and chatbots, but real-life examples of what your technology does and perhaps even how it's improved businesses. Yeah, so one of the ones that I'm most excited about is transforming customer support. So we're partnered with LivePerson, who's using us to help augment their hundreds of thousands of agents with these large language models to make them more efficient, more effective, uh, better customer support agents. And do you have quantifiable results that you could share with us? How have they improved these? Nothing, nothing publicly because yet. Because we could certainly use it yeah. for those of us that have been waiting on hold for a long time. So. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there's this paper out of MIT. It came out about six weeks ago. I don't think it's peer-reviewed yet, but um, the results are amazing. Like, when you look at it, there was an efficiency increase of something like 37%. That's extraordinary, right? Like, that's like industrial revolution level large. Um, so I, I think what the steam engine did for mechanical work, mechanical labor, this technology is going to do for intellectual labor. Wow. That's a pretty big statement. I mean, are these things coming for all of our jobs as they read content and then can regurgitate essays or written releases? I, I don't think so. I think there's always going to be human in the loop. Uh, and so I think it's going to be augmentative as opposed to a replacement. What you're going to see is humans are going to become 10 times as effective at what they do. They're not going to go away or be displaced. Uh, it, it'll also take time to integrate this technology into our existing stack, right? It won't be an overnight switch where people lose their jobs overnight. I think, you know, corporations might make excuses about layoffs saying it's on behalf of AI, but the reality is it's going to be a slow process over the next half decade, and there will be time to adjust, change your own job, and frankly, you're going to love it because it's going to make your job easier. You're going to get to focus on the things that that you care about, that you're best at. And give us a sense, you know, we look at um, the markets, we look at new technologies through the lens of the public markets, right? And there aren't too many peer plays. There's some massive platforms. You just named a couple of them that you are partnered with. 
Give us a sense of what it's like out there. You've obviously built this company over years and you are preparing for this moment. What's it like right now? Do you feel like you're more partnering or competing with the large platforms? So right now it's an extraordinary moment. Like I think it, it, like just at the level of technology development, a few months ago was the first time people held a conversation, an intelligent conversation with something that wasn't human. And that, that's pretty extraordinary. So we're post-awareness now. Everyone's aware of this technology, but we're pre the real deployment. So I think simmering underneath the water mm -hmm. right now is all this work going on to just transform every product, every single company. Um, and so you know, at Cohere, we're excited to be the partner to enterprise in helping them do that. Uh, in terms of competing with platforms versus partnering, I think there's always a bit of both. And we have very close partnerships with, with Google, with Amazon, with Oracle. Uh, and so we're lucky to have those. They're, they're fantastic partners. Aiden, thank you very much for joining us. Aiden Gomez, don't miss much more in this year's Disruptor 50 Companies, continuing tomorrow right here on CNBC. Well, up next, the final trades. It's time for the final trades. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Courtney, thank you for joining us. Coca-Cola is going to continue to deliver. I think they can actually continue to dominate in this pricing world. Karen. Yes, uh, this was Steve's final trade last night. Mine tonight, Capri, too cheap here. Mm, Dan. Yeah, last night, PayPal on the close. I said I'd be a buyer on the opening. I bought it at 68 today. And Guy. A lot of theater, but defense spending never gets cut. Lockheed Martin, LMT, Court. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. It has been quite a show with a lot going on as we wait to see what happens out of Washington. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.